0: Hello, friends, and welcome to HC Weekly. This is a podcast proclaiming the love of God on display through Jesus Christ. We're so glad you're with us, and I need to tell you, we've been expecting you. We encourage you to tune in for an important announcement at the end. And now it's time for today's message. We hope you enjoy.
1: I want to talk to you about breaking free today. Because a lot of people live lives that are very limited. You've been given boundless opportunity in the Spirit of God, in this kingdom that is His, under the new covenant. But too often, we live limited. So, I want to begin with a verse of scripture. It comes from 2 Corinthians 10.4. And I hope the people on live stream can see this clearly. And I hope my wife and my family are laughing at my expense and not somebody else's. <laughs> Always. Always mine? Yeah. It's untelling what you're laughing about, but anyway. I'll tell you later. Okay. It's good. it's good. I've done a good one, huh? All right. Excellent. 2 Corinthians ten four, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God... For pulling down strongholds. Now, I want to share a story with you. Maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But there once was an elephant who had spent its life tethered with a rope around its foot. The rope set limits on how far the elephant could go. Just like Daniel had limits. The limit for this elephant was about 30 feet. And since that was all the elephant had ever known, as far as the elephant knew, it was really living. When you live your whole life under limitation, you can be living under limitation and thinking you're really living. One day, the owner of the elephant needed some money and decided to sell it. And a kind and gracious man came and bought it, desiring that the elephant be free, so he took it to a beautiful wide open space where it could roam as far as it wished. Then the man removed the rope from its foot, but the elephant would not go past the distance it had learned for so long in its life. Had no rope on its foot any longer, but it wouldn't go past 30 feet. There was nothing to stop it from exploring and having adventure, and yet it would not go past the 30 feet distance it had learned. And although it was not tethered in its mind, it was still bound and as a result could not enjoy the blessing of freedom and possibility that was in front of it. Now the elephant was hindered by a stronghold. There was joy and prosperity available. But the elephant could not possess, thank you, what belonged to it due to a bound up soul. When you have a bound up soul due to strongholds, you cannot enjoy what is promised to you. Strongholds are not principalities and powers in heavenly places, they are called what they are principalities and powers. In heavenly places. Strongholds occur in your mind, in your soul. See, the elephant was believing a lie. And that lie had established a stronghold in its thinking. All strongholds begin as a lie that seems true. The rope was at one time true. In the past, the rope was true. In the elephant's present, it was not. But it was living in its soul according to the past. So the stronghold actually limited the elephant, but it it had been removed. The rope in the elephant's imagination is the stronghold, the lie. Is the stronghold once the rope had been removed to continue as though it were still there was to be living in a lie so if you've been declared free in Christ Jesus and you're not living free you're living according to a lie not the truth now sadly this is a picture of some in Christianity claiming to be saved But living in bondage to an old way of thinking. Only in Christ can the rope of hindrance and limitation be taken away. See, it says in the Bible, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why did Christ set you free? (laughs) So that you could be free indeed. Are you hearing me? See, some of us are like, Somebody being let out of prison. The governor's giving them a pardon. They were supposed to be there all their lives. The governor signed the paperwork. The warden came to their cell and said, you're leaving today. Oh, I am. Yeah, the governor's pardoned you. He has. Why would he do that? The governor believes that there's just certain people should be pardoned, and you came up as one of them, and you're free to go. He says, I'm really free. He said, yeah, start, I'm opening your cell door. Come on out. He comes out. He starts walking down the corridor. He's starting to get close to the front exit gate of the prison compound and he starts to think wait a minute this is too good to be true what if they're waiting for me to get on the other side and shoot me so he turns around and heads back in and the warden meets him and says what are you doing he says uh, I, I'm not so sure this is really what you say it is How do I know it's safe on the other side of that gate? That's how many people are living their lives. They say, I came to Christ, I got saved. But they're living in a prison that they're afraid to leave. For fear that if they go past the gate and they mess up, they'll be shot. They'll be taken out. God will get them. Oh, it's worse for you if you got saved and you mess up. God's really gonna get you. Boy, that's a life in the pit. Let's consider 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. It says there, therefore, since we have such hope. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in the mirror of the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. The Lord wants to completely take you out of the fading glory of the old covenant and bring you completely into the ever increasing unending eternal glory of the new covenant. That's what God wants to do in your life. But if you live in your soul tethered, Come on. are you following me? Yeah. Think about this. People who are free attract others who hunger for freedom. Oh, and in the same sense, the old saying is true. Misery loves company. That's also true. I've known people before that will call seven, eight, nine, ten people until they get one that will commiserate with them. If they get a hold of someone and says, oh no, you shouldn't be looking at it that way. You ought to change your perspective. God says this about you. Okay, it was nice talking to you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> call the next one. Oh, I hate that you're feeling that way. Can I pray for you? Because I believe God has better things. Yeah, okay, well, go ahead, pray. Oh, thank you for the prayer. Bye. (laughs) Until they finally get to that one person. Oh, really? Yeah, I I understand. Man, it is horrible. That's just awful. That is so horrible. I just... You know, I've went through something similar to that myself, and I like to never got over it myself. I'm still wrestling with it today. And they start feeling better about their own misery because somebody else is suffering the same thing. And they don't want to talk to anybody that isn't suffering the same thing. Because if you really want help, you don't want somebody suffering the same thing. You want somebody who's free of that. You want somebody who's tasted freedom and can tell you how to get there. Right? If my car needs fixed, I'm not taking it to a guy that has worked on 17 cars and none of them ran after he was done. I'm not going there. People who are free attract others who are hungry for freedom. Dead ritualistic, performance-based religion has never produced a free person, and it never will. It cannot remove the veil. It cannot break the strongholds because it establishes strongholds. It's built on lies. Yes, they quote the Bible, but they quote it out of context. The solution is simple. It's getting the gospel right. Getting the gospel in. And then committing to get the gospel out. See, it's just as important that you get the gospel out as it is for you to get it in and get it right. If all you do is get it right and get it in, stop there. You have not completed the circuit. You've got to complete The circuit. If you don't complete the circuit, the power doesn't flow. But if you complete the circuit, the power begins to flow in your life. What is a circuit? Romans tells us if you will believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, you have to use your lips, your tongue, your breath. You have to use the language God has given you to declare, you have to speak. Are you hearing me? When you actively hear, confess, and then share the gospel with others, it transforms you. You don't need the law to keep you straight. If you were to become a witness for Jesus, I promise you, you'll start living differently. Everything you do, you will all of a sudden be aware of whether it could be a stumbling block to somebody you've been telling, G, telling them about Jesus, you know. I had a friend one time tell me, you know, he said, he said, you know, before I tell people about Jesus, I live it. I said, you won't really live it until you open your, your cowardly mouth and profess it. I said, I profess it so that I don't have a choice but to rely on him to live it. Because now they're gonna watch me like a hawk. This it's like putting a hawk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on your car. You 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 become aware I can't drive like a maniac, man. They're gonna it's a bad testimony to Jesus. Are you with me? If you become a witness for Jesus, you're you're completing the circuit. And when you complete the circuit, the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life in ways that it never did before. Yeah, Hallelujah. Living according to the gospel is the evidence of receiving it. Let me say that again. Living according to the gospel is the evidence of receiving it. The gospel is not meant for mere consideration. It's given for the purpose of transformation. It's meant to be applied. God didn't give us the gospel so that we could develop think tanks like a political group does and sit around for hours and get paid to deliberate on what we think is accurate and inaccurate and this and that and and all that stuff. It's given to produce life in you. And that is exactly what it does. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is not meant for mere consideration. It's meant for transformation. It's meant to be applied. And until the gospel is heard received by faith, and then given highest priority in your thoughts and actions, you'll live bound up in your soul to your wounds, your shame, your betrayals, your fears, your regrets, your limitations, your mistakes, your past and present sins, and a whole bunch of other unhealthy things that seek to rob you of the freedom that is promised to you in Christ, and you'll destroy every relationship that could have been meaningful in your life. You'll find a way to mess it up. And all because you're refusing to receive the gospel and let it live out from you. Coming to Christ doesn't fix a marriage. Do you know that? Marriages are made healthy when two people are healthy. You can't help but have a healthy marriage if you have two healthy people. There you go. Come on, but if you get somebody unhealthy into that mix, unwilling to submit in faith to their gospel and be transformed by it, you've got a recipe for problematic marriage relationship. Until the gospel is given highest priority... You're going to be bound up. See, God uses the gospel to break down strongholds. It's God's tool. This is why a lot of people claim to be Christian, but they can't maintain any kind of healthy semblance of any kind of relationship in their life at all. I'm a Christian. I go to church. Well, that's all well and good. But if you're not letting the gospel break down the strongholds that war against you, And cause you to become an unbearable person in the lives of others. Some people are just plumb hard to try to relate with. But see, if the mentality you came in through that causes you to go to church, it causes you to call yourself a Christian, is I got saved, I'm going to heaven, I got my ticket, that's all that really mattered. And I'll do my good boy deeds, I'll just show up at church. Maybe not every Sunday, but periodically. You know? I'll read my Bible on a... And so you've got this list of... And then you you compare that list to somebody that you see does a lot less than you do. And you think, well, I must be okay. I'm doing pretty decent. But see, the problem is, you don't need a list to start with. Because the gospel is not about your moral fortitude. The gospel is about your relationship with God. That will change your moral fortitude. But your moral fortitude is not the first thing on his mind. You as an individual given value and worth having it been ascribed to you by the fact that the Son of God was willing to die for you. Tells you that God is interested in relationship with you. He wants to fellowship with you. And see, you will not apply and live out the gospel if you don't understand it from that angle. Because you will see it from, I'm secure for heaven's call. That's all that really mattered anyway. I needed to know where I was going when I die. Hey, there's a whole lot in between now and then. (laughs) You know? I don't want to live like hell until I get to heaven. I don't want to live my my life in total misery until I reach heaven. I want to live in the joy and the peace and the righteousness that is mine in the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit. And I hope all of you do too. Now, a major stronghold for many people is the idea that you were saved by grace, but now you must prove yourself worthy and good enough to keep what you received as a free gift. <laughs> now, we should read the rest of the passage we started with, and let's see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. 2 Corinthians ten four through 6. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is full, Fulfilled. Most people read that and they think that when I reach more perfection then I can punish disobedience. Wrong approach to this passage. That is not what is being said here. It is not. First let's see what these weapons are we've been given. First they're not temporal. Let's let's dissect this just a minute. They're not bodily. They're not unregenerate or fleshly. That's what carnal means. Your own strength. Your own willpower. Your own this, your own that. That is not what these weapons are. We're not doing this in our own strength according to our own wisdom or the wisdom of men. We are given weapons that are mighty... Through God. So get to catch the gist here. Through God. Through God. In other words, stronghold destroying involves Holy Spirit revelation and the truth of God's word that is spirit breathed applied in context. Now, these mighty weapons are used to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We should hold the word of God in the highest esteemed saints as the ultimate truth. Because it's the truth that sets you free. Not just any truth, the right truth, right? Jesus was the word of God in the flesh. He's the truth that sets free. So scripture is important. And we need to submit to the truth it reveals concerning Jesus. You don't need to know about altar sacrifices. You need to know about Jesus and His sacrifice. You don't need to be a theologian about the art of sacrifice... And its purpose, etc., etc., etc. Now you can learn those things and have a deeper appreciation for all of that being completed in Jesus if you've got your center on Jesus. But if you just get all caught up in the in the the, the drama, the pageantry, the all the mystique of all of that old practice under the Jewish system of law. You're going down a wrong path. We need a contextual truth, not an out-of-context truth. Out-of-context truths create strongholds. An out-of-context truth will create a stronghold. Let me give you a great example. Let's say somebody went to a business and they ate something and it made them sick. But the business discovered the source of that. They went in, they removed it, they cleaned everything up, disinfected, started afresh with good stuff. And then one day, somebody's talking to a friend and recommending this business. And the friend says, oh, no, you don't want to go there. Uh, So-and-so got sick eating there. That's true. They did. But what is not true is they wouldn't today. Because what is true is they took measures to fix the problem. Are, Are you hearing me? But because somebody wants them to relate to an older truth that is now out of context. They won't go eat there if they believe that older truth. If you get into the Word of God and you get into out of context truth and you don't know what you're doing with it. And you start thinking you've got to live by that. You're living according to an out of context truth and you're putting yourself... Under the authority of a stronghold in your mind. Boy, I hope you're enjoying hearing this as much as I'm enjoying preaching. What do I mean by out of context? Out of context isn't just picking one scripture and applying it wrongly. It can also involve applying passages that were in context for a different covenant than the one that is now in force. For instance, trying to teach someone to live according to an old covenant truth that has not been carried over into the new covenant is a truth out of context. And this is happening continually in churches throughout the world today. Here's an example from Scripture. Romans 7. We got to go there. Beginning in verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, and look at who Paul's speaking to? He says, For I speak to those who know the law. Okay? Do you not know, brethren, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? He's speaking to those that think according to the law. They're thinking in old covenant thought. And according to the law, you were bound to the law as long as you should live. Okay? When you were under the law, you were bound to the law for as long as you should live. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's speaking to those that are knowledgeable of the law. So he says, the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Now he's getting into a natural example that's carried over. It's it's reflected in the law. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Remember, Jesus came along and he said, hey, Hey, Moses gave you guys a, a, a writing of divorce because of your hardened hearts. But I tell you, from the beginning, it was not so with God. In other words, what God intended for marriage to be for, until death do we part. And that was God's original idea. But we fell into sin, mankind did. And situations occurred that mess a lot of things up for people. And guess what? Marriages are not quite so permanent, are they? Right? Especially if you've got two people that come together and they don't get the grace of God and they don't understand how to live out that grace toward one another. You want a successful marriage, learn the grace of God and give grace to others. Starting with your spouse. And quit trying to change them. You're not the Holy Spirit. You're a cold, messed up person. They're having to give you grace for all your quirks and mistakes. Give them some grace too, right? Verse 3, so then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, That we should bear fruit to God. Now this is not so much about marriage and divorce in the natural. That's just an analogy taken to show us what took place when we come to Jesus. That's what's happening here. This is not another rule for the church. That's not what Romans 7 is. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. Any time you come under the law, you bear fruit unto death. Verse 6. But now, now we come into the context of truth. We have been delivered from the law. Thank you, Lord. Having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. A lot of people in the church struggle with this. Now we know what an argument is, but what is a high thing? A high thing is any thought that is given priority so that it determines your belief and course of action. That's a high thing. It's called a high thing because in biblical times when people sacrifice the false gods, They did so on the high places. They gave those gods priority. Now for the elephant in the story, the rope around its foot was a high thing. And the argument was that it could not be free from it. More often than not, your arguments stem from the high thing you have given priority to in your thought life. It is amazing how much people will fight to defend their high thing. It's one thing to be told you're free, but it's a whole other thing to experience it for yourself. And there are many who claim to believe the gospel but live bound up in performance requirements, traditions, and rules, and regulations that are out of context. You see, people can be oddly committed to their high thing. I remember being taken to task years ago when I committed. We were going to be a gospel Christ-centered, gospel-centered church. Years ago, I had a, a brother who would come here, and he, he, he and another brother took me to lunch. And the Holy Spirit said, take your Bible. You're going to need it. So I did. Sure enough, we get sat down and said, it's good to see you guys. I'm thinking, you know, we're going to fellowship. I get my Bible out, put it up on the table. They're like, why would you bring your Bible for us? I said, the Holy Spirit told me to. They said, huh, interesting. They said, well, the reason we want to have lunch is there's something you say when you're preaching that we don't necessarily agree with. We're offended when you say it. I said, really? What is it that I'm saying that's offending you so horribly? Because it's not my aim to offend you. So please, by all means, make me aware. What did I say? You said that the commandments written on stone are a ministry of death. (laughs) I chuckled. I couldn't help it. Because I I wasn't defensive, I was humored. (laughs) At the level of ignorance that was being (laughs) swept in my direction. And they were claiming to be profound disciples and biblical scholars and And here I am sitting across the table from these guys telling me we're offended when you say that the commandments written on the stone tablets is a ministry of death. I said, you know, you're really you're not offended with me. They said, Yeah, we are, because you're saying it. I said, I'm not the one who said it. Open my Bible. Read it. Word for word from the scripture. And I said, God said this. I just repeated him. I just repeated what God said in the scriptures, the holy scriptures, under the new covenant. He said that the law, that that, that the commands that were written on the tablets of stone, we know what that is. There's only one thing that was written on tablets of stone. Was a ministry of death. It says it in the Bible. If it says it in the Bible. In the context of the new covenant. I'm within my rights and authority to quote it. And I am not expected by God to give an apology to somebody. That claims to be a biblical scholar. But is proving they're far from it. Are you following me? Their stronghold, which the high thing was, they claimed to love the law. If you love the law and you honor the law, you know this much, you can't keep it. So you would by no means try to do that yourself or insist that others do it. You would have respect for how holy and righteous it is and how the standard is so high and lofty that as human beings we can't attain to it in our own strength and willpower. And therefore God had to send Jesus. So when you come under grace, the way you're called to come under grace, you're actually respecting the law. You're upholding the law as a holy thing, unattainable by man. That's the reason the sacrifices were offered so frequently, because they were constantly violating it. No one kept it. You've been delivered from it. Some people are oddly committed to their high thing. They'll say that that only through Jesus can a person be saved, but then adopt other solutions for maintaining righteousness, believing that if they do something wrong, they'll fall out of favor with God. Some even go as far as to say uh, they'll risk losing their salvation. So they look to the law for how to behave in an effort to keep themselves in favor with God. And all this because people can be oddly committed to their high thing. What is your high thing? What are you most willing to argue for? When you're being given the good news of Jesus Christ, that he completed the work at the cross, that that the righteousness of God himself has now become your righteousness, that you have the freedom to look in your mirror in the bathroom in the morning when you're getting ready and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can't get any more righteous than I am right now. Even on my bad day, I can't get any more righteous than I am in Christ. It's impossible to do. Oh, you've got to get that kind of confidence embedded into your soul or high things will replace the truth of Jesus Christ in your life. He will be relegated to a corner where all He can do is save you from going to hell. And that's the limitation of it. But He came to deliver you from far more than just hell itself. He came to bring you into possibility and opportunity and and life everlasting, life more abundantly. Can you say you're living abundant life? If you're not living abundant life, let me tell you what the problem is. You don't need a shrink. You don't need medication. You don't need all those other things. What you need is to get the gospel into your soul. Get your relationship firing on all cylinders with the God who created everything and created you and knows you better than you know yourself. Let Him love you. Let Him bring His love into your existence and let that love transform who you are at the core of your being. He even loves you when you're at your ugliest. Let me wrap this up so we can go home. Romans 7 said very clearly that we were delivered from the law so that we could serve God in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. Listen, get rid of your list. Some of you administrators and organizers, your high thing may be your list. I get it. It's okay if it helps you structure a few things, but if it becomes a high thing that you'll argue for when you're using it for establishing or maintaining your own righteousness, then it's a problem. Perfectionist, hear what I'm saying. In 2 Corinthians ten 5, we're told... We are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, let's think about that quickly as we wind this up. Notice it says, to the obedience of Christ. Not your obedience to Christ. The obedience of Christ. What are you to bring your thoughts captive to? What Jesus did. When my thoughts are trying to condemn me, I say, wait a minute, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I see someone, crown of thorns on his head, blood streaming down the wooden plank of the cross, hands nailed, feet nailed, saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. thought, you are an imposter. And you have to go. You are not welcome here. You're not welcome here. And you have to be aggressive. You have to be assertive. You know, it is not, you know, I think this thought may not belong here. I, I, you know, I'm not sure, but I, I think this thought may not belong here. I, you know, I, I'm not quite certain that, 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 that this thought should be here. So I, when, you're, when you're double-minded, when you're, when you're timid, when you're all that stuff, you're not getting any ground gained. You need to become convinced of the gospel convinced of the gospel your ability to quote what you hear said is not equal to the possession of it and if you want to fully possess it you need to welcome it in and then you need to get it out you need to become witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit notice the emphasis is always on Christ's obedience not ours we are to learn to have confidence in what he accomplished for us And that's how you pull down your strongholds. Faith in Him alone and His work alone is where our confidence comes from. Christ did all that was needed for us to be truly free. And that truth, my friends, is a powerful weapon.
0: What a great encouragement from the Lord. Hello again. We want to invite you to subscribe to this ministry, we would love to hear from you contact us at our website, www.harvestchurchknoxville.com. Click on the connect button and leave us a message. We'll respond to you just as soon as we can. You can also interact with us on Facebook at Harvest Church. Our request is that you pray for us and also pray about financially supporting this ministry so it can continue to go out. No gift is too small. If you have a local church, please don't neglect it in your giving whenever giving to this ministry. There's three easy ways to give and all our giving options are secure. Your first option is at our website. Again, www.HarvestChurchKnoxville.com. Click on the Give button and follow the steps. Your second option is via text. Send a text to 865 865- with the amount that you wish to give in the message section. Your third option is via snail mail. Send it to Harvest Church, 6720 Kern Road, that's K-E-R-N, Knoxville, Tennessee, 37918. If you are in the Knoxville, Tennessee area and you don't have a church home, we invite you to come and be with us. We'd love to see you again. Thank you for listening. Our prayer for you is that you grow in your knowledge of Christ Jesus and experience great increase of grace and peace. Remember, Jesus really loves you.